Welcome to The Mindset. On this show, we interview athletes, entrepreneurs, and other successful individuals that have the mindset to win in the face of long odds. You'll hear what drives these amazing people and find inspiration to face the challenges in your own life. Today's guest is Marshall Mosher, founder of Vestigo. Vestigo provides real-world and virtual reality adventure experiences to their corporate customers to help build an innovation mindset. Mosher discusses the way they build teams through shared adversity, the differences between perceived and actual danger, and the effects of stress. Here is Marshall Mosher on The Mindset. Media Instagram Live. Uh, the series is called The Mindset. We recently added these as a podcast stream. So if you missed these live on here on Instagram, you can search The Mindset on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and listen to past episodes. Uh, today, really excited. We have uh, Marshall Masher. I I said that correctly. I've been worried about the last name there. Uh, Marshall. Masher, <laughs> okay. Uh, Marshall is the co-founder. Say it again. It's uh, Mosher. Mosher? Oh, God, yeah. You close that. <laughs> uh, Marshall is the co-founder and CEO of Vesico. Vesico builds performance and uh, enhancing experiences that train your team to embrace innovation and navigate change through a mindset of courage. Uh, Marshall is also the host of Inside the Adventure, a podcast fo- focused on athletes sharing their stories and challenging their limits. Uh, Marshall, thanks for being here, man. How are you? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course, man. Of course. I, um, these are cool because I love to like navigate people's stories and, um, you, you're, you start, you went to Georgia. So I was going to give like a, a big Good. roll call, like go dogs, but I've got neighbors <laughs> and things like that. Um, but take That's me through so that. Bad. You, you were, I, I think you, you, you majored in like, you, you were a triple major. Is that correct? I, I majored in being very indecisive on what to major. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I um, had a, a interesting progression of I, I was originally pre-med um, coming in as a freshman, really okay. not knowing what I wanted to do, but realizing that I, uh, you know, at least in high school, I liked my science classes. My biology teacher was awesome, and I thought that was fun. So, of course, in my head, that translated into, oh, I'm, I guess I'll go to med school. Yeah. Um, so the, the typical um, advisor, uh, there's this one pre-med advisor at UGA, um, Dr. Espoli, that is amazing okay. at getting his students into good med schools. And he says, if you want to get into a good med school, you can't just major in biology you got to do something else to stand out so you should do the bio psych double major because from a um, organizational standpoint they fit super well together at UGA it's really easy to do both it's not that much extra because they just overlap really well and I always like psychology so I was like okay yeah sure sign me up and then as I went through UGA I started to realize that just because I liked my biology class in high school doesn't necessarily mean I want to be a doctor (laughs) (laughs) yeah it took me a little while to realize that but I I was like well I don't really know what else I want to do but um The other class that I really liked in high school was economics. I was like, oh, I'll add one of those. So I ended up um, adding an econ degree. And uh, originally, I was just taking some econ classes just because I thought it was interesting. And and then I was like, oh, I actually really like this. It wouldn't take that much extra time. It would add an extra year. But honestly, I thought if I I stayed one more year, we'd win the national championship. So I had to... I had to stick around a bit longer, so did that, and then, um, you know, still really didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew that UGA was a great environment 
for yeah. me to be figuring out um, really what I didn't want to do just as much as what I did want to do and being around mm -hmm. amazing people that could help me to navigate that path. Um, and it was really a lot of the extracurricular activities and experiences that I did through UGA, uh, a bunch of different student organizations and uh, just incredible people that I met that really helped to uh, help me to figure out ultimately what I did want to do. But so I, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew that I wanted to be at UGA for longer. So <laughs> of course, who doesn't, right? <laughs> right, right. Of course. So I so I turned the, the five year plan <laughs> into the six year plan. Uh, because we didn't win the national championship. So I had to stay one more year so that we could. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that, unfortunately, we, we kept getting so close. Always, right? Just, like, right at the cusp. It's tough. You were there during, like, the Aaron Murray days, too, which yeah. was, he was yeah. really good. And, yeah, that's yeah. tough. That's <laughs> Aaron's a good friend. And I was just like, oh, so close. But, um, yeah, it's uh, – we just never quite got there. But that's that's whole yeah. other podcast episode. Um so yeah, just I, Georgia dreams and Atlanta fandom, you know, just like oh, all coming together, yeah. right? <laughs> for real, yeah. Um, but uh, but so UGA was a great environment for me. Um, I didn't know what I wanted to do, so I I added this. Um, I, I wanted to do my MBA, but mm -hmm. the MBA program wouldn't let me uh, join it as an undergrad. Um, and and there's this program through the honors college where you can start taking master's level classes as an undergrad. Wow. And the reason why I wanted to do that, because I wanted to stay longer at UGA, but I didn't want to pay for it. And the Hope Scholarship pays for undergrad, but not for grad classes. So there's this great loophole where you can start taking grad classes and actually complete an entire grad degree as an undergrad through this wow. dual enrollment program. But the MBA program at the time didn't offer that, but the MPA program did. So I was like, oh, well, this it's one letter difference. So it's yeah, right. So I did that and just took all the MBA electives um, and essentially was able to stay an extra year, but get a master's out of it without paying for it because of the hope. And through all that, I eventually took an entrepreneurship class in my very last semester of my sixth year. And... <laughs> finally realized that I wanted to go into something that didn't require any degrees. <laughs> that's, uh, that is so amazing. Wow. That's, uh, that's super cool though. It's cool that you were able to find that. So you, uh, you just said the hope. So, and I, I correct me if I'm wrong here. It does the hope still just apply to Georgia residents. So you're from Georgia originally from Atlanta originally. Yeah. You still okay. have to be a Georgia resident as far as I know. Uh, you know, a ton of people move, to Georgia, you know, the year before their kids go to school or whatever the time designation is. But yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay. I didn't know that. I did not know you were, uh, you were born and raised. So that's, um, that's super cool. Wow. So, so you take this last class that what, what did, what did you learn in that last class from an entrepreneur perspective that made you kind of go off on this, this new path of, of, like you said, not technically kind of needing like that, that uh, all those I don't want to say degrees, right? But like the, the direction that everyone kind of goes into college thinking about. Yeah. Um, I realized that all the things that I really liked um, that weren't really a checkmark box at the career center were actually this thing called entrepreneurship that I didn't really know much about. And UGA was very, uh, at, at that time, it was really early on in the entrepreneurship program that now it has a really extensive program that really helps support students that have ideas that go through an accelerator, they get funding and all this great stuff. Yeah. Um, 
but it was the first year of this the UGA accelerator program when we first started. So as I was going through the class, I, I just started really resonating with a lot of the themes of I really like to be creative, uh, be flexible. I don't really like following rules, uh, <laughs> all, all these themes of entrepreneurship. Um, but uh, it wasn't really until graduating from the class and applying for two different accelerator programs that I really okay. uh, realized that I really liked the space once we did those programs. The first one was the um, UGA ID Accelerator, which was the very, very first year that it was getting off the ground run by Jim Flannery um, and uh, was an incredible program that really helped us solidify our idea, go through the process, customer discovery, follow all the right steps that you're supposed to follow. It came with um, the opportunity to participate in a pitch competition that would come with $5,000 of free funding through the university. So um, through that program, I really started to realize like, oh, well, I think this class project actually might be something that I would want to focus on full time. But it okay. really wasn't until another accelerator program that we applied for that I really fell in love with the space. Um, the entrepreneurship program at UGA uh, was amazing. It was very new and early on, and there weren't really any other founders that were um, starting and running companies. because It was brand new, just, just getting off the ground. Right. Um, but UGA had a partnership with Singularity University, where okay. one student from any of the grad programs, so if you were a graduate student at the University of Georgia, you were eligible to apply for um, this competition where the winner of the competition would get sent to this startup accelerator program called Singularity University, which is housed at the NASA Ames Research Center out in the Silicon Valley area, right next yeah. to Google. Uh, it, was, it was actually partnered with Google. And um, we ended up winning that competition. I got a chance to go out to do this 10-week program out in the uh, San Francisco Bay Area at NASA, right next to Google with 80 people from all over the world who were just rock star entrepreneurs and doing all kinds of cool stuff and um, got to learn from some of the best in the world uh, through that 10-week that program. And that was when I was like, this is awesome. I love this. 100% resonate with it where I hadn't really fallen in love with any of the other things that I'd studied or done um, to that extent. So that was really where it clicked for me. And was that, I mean, is that with Vestigo at that time or kind of with the inception of it? Or was that something else that you took out there and, and went and, and won out there in, in San Francisco or Silicon Valley, essentially? Yeah, so that was with the very first concept of uh, Vestigo, where it's a bit different now uh, to get uh, kind of the theme of our story is, is adaptability, okay. and, and which really goes back into mindset theme of this uh, interview and podcast. So I'm excited to talk about that in a little bit. But um, the very first idea for Vestigo, um, which now I know was a good idea because Airbnb uh, did the exact same thing two years later. Uh, and I'll tell that story in a bit. But okay. the the idea, if anyone's heard of Airbnb adventures or Airbnb experiences, now it's a mm -hmm. pretty widely known concept. At the time, it wasn't. That was what we created initially. We created a sharing economy platform for local guides uh, that are you know, different levels of, um, of you know, professional outdoor action adventure sport enthusiasts who also are certified to guide. They could create their own adventure experience that they would then list on this platform and anyone in the area could find that, uh, that listing and 
see the guides, see all their certifications, see their yeah. reviews and sign up to go learn a new cool outdoor skill and have a fun experience with this person. So if you want to learn how to go rock climbing or whitewater kayaking or skydiving, you could find someone to take you in a way that would feel more. Um, so Airbnb before they did this concept was still a big inspiration for me. I really liked the way you could travel on Airbnb, stay with the local and feel like yeah. you're a part of the city instead of a hotel. Yeah. Um, so that was the concept of going with these local guides instead of these touristy outfitters that just put you in a line with, uh, you know, a bunch of other people like a zip line kind of thing or ropes course. Yeah. Um, so we created that as the initial concept with the goal of empowering people to live more active and healthy lifestyles by falling in love with a new hobby that was inherently active and healthy. But yeah. instead of having the motivation to go to the gym every day and getting fit because of your you know epic perseverance of of hitting the gym every single day uh <laughs> outdoor adventure sports are equally as good from a fitness and health standpoint both physical and mental health but the key thing is that they don't require um you know a lot of of dedication to a particular fitness goal you're just going out and having fun and through the activity of having fun you're getting in shape um, yeah. So it was much more of a sustainable way to really create a more active and healthy lifestyle for individuals that didn't have that before. And a lot of traditional sports are the same way. You just go out, you have fun. Um, as long as, uh, you know, if you're taking it to the competitive level, that's a whole another story. But if you're just getting into a new sport. You just go, you know, throw a football around with some friends. You're exercising. And, and if you do that all the time, then it's um, a great way to stay in shape. Um, yeah. Was that born so, kind of out of your – Obviously, you have the podcast. I've seen a little bit of your Instagram. You're very active yourself, right? Especially within an action sports perspective. Is that born out of that? Just the fact that you love to kind of be outdoors and doing those type of things and wanted to have people share that uh, experience with you and, and, uh, and kind of in that way? For sure. Yeah. So my, uh, I guess I kind of fast forwarded over this part by my job at UGA, my campus job, um, was as a guide for the outdoor rec program where we would take okay. students on all kinds of outdoor adventure experiences for the first time. And okay. um, there's this little mini like REI type uh, gear uh, closet store thing in the recreation center at UGA where you can uh, do anything from rent a tent to go camping for the weekend to sign up mm. for an outdoor rec trip where you'd actually have a guide and a program and all the gear. So those programs, those trips were run by students and the program would teach the guides how to actually guide the trip. So you didn't actually have to know how to do any of this stuff to apply to be a guide. You just had to have a willingness to learn. And of course, you couldn't lead it until you knew how to actually do it. Nice. Uh, and you have the right certifications, but I had always wanted to get into those kinds of things and had always loved it from a young age, but just never really had uh, too much opportunity to do that before UGA. Um, oh, wow. And that was really the way that I got into a lot of the stuff. And I, I saw firsthand a lot of super powerful stories of people that were in a really uh, hard place mentally suffering from depression, getting into the wrong things that go whitewater kayaking with their friend on an entry level river one weekend, fall in love with it. And now they're for one, a world-class 
awesome athletes in whitewater kayaking, but that actually helped them to get out of a lot of the the not very productive mm. hobbies that they had. Um, and just can, I, I saw how it could really change lives in a really powerful way, both mentally and physically, and realized wow. that the the barrier of entry, unfortunately, is kind of high. Um, use whitewater kayaking as an example. Again, you can't really just go buy a boat and figure it out. I mean, you can, but it's probably not going to end too well. It's a little, um, little difficult. <laughs> it's a little difficult. I mean, it's depending on what river you go on. Um, but it, with a person that can show you what to do and teach you the right things to, to look for and to actually like kind of hold your hand and take you down your first couple of rivers and introduce you to that community, that's really all it takes is that person to to hold your hand through that first step. So that was what I wanted to create for people who didn't have a UGA type environment where you could yeah. sign up for an outdoor rec trip. Um, and that That's was the awesome. initial idea. That's awesome. That's so cool. I've, um, yeah, I, I honestly, and, and to kind of think of it, to, to kind of pull it back a little bit, opportunity is such a big thing, right? Especially within sports. And I think a lot of people um, don't get into certain things because of opportunity, right? Or just because of the perceived like notion of like, how do I go do those type of things? So trying to bring that to the forefront, I think is uh, such a cool thing. And you kind of touched on it um, as, as I kind of wanted to walk through here, but um, you, you, you touched on like the mindset. So you got into this from really opportunity of you kind of working there. Then you start turning this into a business. You get out to Silicon Valley, you talk about being around a ton of rock stars. What, what, what's your kind of thought process as you're building this and pivoting as you kind of talked about? Uh, kind of walk us through that, if you could, of taking this from an inception or something that you, you truly kind of, uh, you know, fell in love with and fell in love with some of the aspects of it into turning it into something truly tangible and something that's, um, you know, obviously very cool from a business perspective today. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I, I think one of, the, one of the best things I could have done as a first-time entrepreneur was go through some type of educational program surrounded by peers who know what the hell they're doing with advisors yeah. who know what to teach you, because I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. And Singularity University, I'm so thankful for that program because there's so many accelerated programs out there where it's a super rigorous application process that is more based on the company than the founders, uh, whereas mm. Singularity is very it's it's very much the other way around where you don't really apply as a company you apply with an individual with an idea and a passion space and that's what you're accepted on so there's no company metrics or or really traction you need it's more of the individual their experience their background and their passion for technology entrepreneurship and making a positive change so okay. that um made it a lot more accessible for me as a first-time founder with no clue what I was doing to go to a program where it's all about learning the first steps and educating um, yourself on the technology that's not only out there right now, but that will be out in the next 5, 10, 20 years. We can plan for being able to use that new tech plus the a lot of the big issues from a social entrepreneurship standpoint space and how to combine tech entrepreneurship together uh, in a way that can create a positive impact. So doing yeah. a program like that um, was awesome. But, you know, nowadays you can, you can even watch all of Y Combinator's videos and, and tutorials just online. Uh, they have an amazing library of content. A lot of these programs have that now. So fortunately, there's such a great resource, um, just a huge, massive library of resources out there to be able to learn a lot of these things. But for me, having the community was, was really important. Um, so from there, 
we had to kind of go through all the first steps of, of starting companies. So figuring out what's the main problem we're solving, um, creating an MVP, finding product market fit, hopefully, ideally, and if not, pivoting to something where you are finding product market fit. And um, one of the things I, I learned, a, a couple of really important key factors, but I think one of the most important things that I learned is the importance of timing. Um, mm. and, and I sort of learned this in different stages along the way, but um, there's this really amazing documentary called General Magic, which uh, okay. I think it's on Netflix, but it showcases that just because you have an amazing idea doesn't mean that um, even if you have an amazing idea with the best team in the world to execute on it, it has to also be the right time for that idea. So General yeah. Magic is one of the most important Silicon Valley companies that maybe most people probably haven't heard of. They actually invented the smartphone or they invented the concept of the smartphone, but it was about 10 years too early. The hardware wasn't there yet. The, uh, it was just too expensive to be able to make it. Like the, the tech just hadn't been invented yet. Right. Um, and unfortunately they couldn't survive long enough because they raised a bunch of money, hired a bunch of people, had this massive team and just ran out of runway. And then several years later, Apple is uh, at the right place at the right time to release the iPhone. But that story is a really great one for anyone who wants a good documentary on the importance of timing. Um, so for us, there were a couple factors. Um, I do think it was good timing, but it was still a little bit early. Um, Airbnb ended up, like I mentioned before, launching the exact same idea maybe three yeah. years down the road. Um, okay. So that proves that there is something to that idea. And Brian Chetsky, the founder of Airbnb, has actually said it in an interview that he thinks the revenue from Airbnb experiences will surpass Airbnb's typical business model, traditional business model, which is pretty amazing. But, um, yeah, it is. but for us, um, we... It, it was kind of a combination of things. It wasn't really the right timing for us in terms of we, that's a very big ambitious idea that I do think was a little bit too early, but we also just didn't have the experience to be able to execute on it. Uh, first time founders right out of UGA. Um, we also really didn't have the funding to be able to build a really large scalable B2C type consumer product like that. Um, yeah. We were on the East coast, not the West coast. Um which makes a big difference from being able to fundraise a lot of money to pour into an idea with very little traction, which I think it's a lot better to be able to build a company that works and then fundraise. Uh, but the West Coast is very different where it seems to be a lot more of just kind of um, kind of Hail Mary attempts on companies with very little traction uh, or yeah. no revenue. Sometimes revenue is a bad thing. I, I don't know for, for those companies, but uh, it's, it's crazy how that works. But it, it um, a lot of the advice that we got uh, on the East Coast, which I do think is was very beneficial to us, was build yeah. a company that solves a problem that generates revenue that becomes profitable. And when you get to the point where you can't keep up with the demand that you have because you're just having to scale so fast, uh, you just can't keep up with it. Um, that's when you should go fundraise. And we took that advice to heart and we realized that, well, this really large, highly scalable um, tech platform, large potential idea um, really can't generate enough revenue to do that um, because tech platforms and even Uber still isn't profitable. Um, it, very it's, true. It's, it's a different mindset, it's focused on growth versus revenue. So we were like, we want to focus on revenue and we want to get profitable. So how do we do that? So we found companies 
instead of going after individuals and spending a ton of money to acquire one new user who you know, maybe the lifetime value of that user would outweigh the cost eventually, but definitely not right now. Right. Um, we were like, well, why don't we spend um, maybe a little bit more money to acquire a new user, but the new user is not an individual, it's a company. And that company brings 100 individuals. So we went out and we started going the B to B to C route, which means that we wanted to find companies that wanted to do unique kind of team building events using these after adventure experiences we already had on the platform. Then once we sold the company, we could then remarket to all these individuals that were coming through the company for their experience because we had their their username, their email, right. and their phone number because they made an account <clears throat> on Vestigo, and. We started getting so much traction on the B2B side that even though the goal was to scale on the B2C side, we were like, well, we don't really have the resources to do both well because we're a small, scrappy, bootstrapped startup, but we're yeah. making a lot more money on the B2B side through these corporate team building experiences. Why don't we focus on that? So we put a pause on the platform B2C, a really big, large scalable idea to focus on a more small niche, not very scalable idea because it brought in more revenue. Oh, and awesome. we realized that companies are really, especially several years ago, there was this big movement towards building company culture. And a lot of culture comes from relationships and relationships is all psychology. So that's where that psychology degree actually played a little yeah. bit of a role where one of the most important factors for human connection is going through some type of shared adversity, being vulnerable about that adversity and supporting each other to come out stronger on the other side. It's this team of, it's the story of a lot of sports teams. Uh, yeah. It's the story of a lot of movies. I mean, it's the, it's the hero's journey, honestly, um, which is the, the fundamental kind of roadmap of a lot of really powerful movies, stories, uh, all kinds of things out there. And we were providing an experience for people, uh, corporate employees that aren't the most fit in shape um, people in the whole world that maybe wouldn't have ever done something like this ever in a million years, unless their company sort of like made them do it. Uh, right. I love the quotation. was required. <laughs> <laughs> all, all optional, but uh, I'm sure there was a lot of uh, guilting into doing things. So sure. um, we'd have people go out on the, these experiences that would really fundamentally change their personal mindset, but, that journey of changing their personal mindset and their perception of what they thought is possible for their personal ability to do something had this really powerful effect on the overall team and the team's ability to be able to push through team goals and team challenges yeah. um, in a way that brought the team just a lot closer together because of it. So we wow. doubled down on the B2B team building adventures. Uh, and that was the first pivot. That's, uh, it's incredible. Yeah, it's incredible that you, that you had that foresight. Obviously, you, I love that you walked us through that essentially, right? As you uh, understood, obviously, the, the, the landscape of the Bay Area, but also uh, as you brought it back to the East Coast, understanding what you needed to do for your own platform and then making it successful in your own way, which is so awesome. I have a couple questions uh, from the comment section, if you, uh, if you will. The first one that I saw sure. pop up was, um, were you were you intimidated at all by some of the rock stars that you encountered when you were, when you were in Silicon Valley? And the next question is, what's the craziest event, uh, I guess, that you've created or that you've done? Yeah, uh, good questions. Um, first question, uh, yes, 100%. Um, uh, what's it called? Uh, imposter syndrome is a real thing. Mm. And there was actually like so much so that there was actually a discussion about this as 
a lecture at the program because you have, oh, wow. it's 80 people from yeah. over 40 different countries, very international, all over the world where there's just these, this incredible collection of epic rock star people. I was one yeah. of the youngest people, like the average age was, I think like 31 or 32. And I was like 21 at the time, 22 or something. Wow. Um, and I, 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 all these people have just done epic things. And I was like, I haven't done anything. <laughs> uh, why, why am I here? So yeah, th th that's, it was a real, real thing for sure. And I totally felt incompetent the entire time. Um, but it, it's one of those things where you realize you're there for a reason. Yeah. Um, they, they chose you cause they saw something in you, they believed in you. And the, the number one person who's going to believe in you the most is yourself. And you have to just have that confidence to be able to, um, you know, humbly see that uh, you have that potential and to be able to contribute whatever you have, even if it's not as much as some others in the program that have years of experience and all these epic you know, stories and life experiences to tell, you still have something to contribute. Everyone has something to contribute and yeah. being able to lock into that, I think is, is really important. Uh, but always having the growth mindset, even for the people there who were rock stars, like we had literally an astronaut in the group. Um, wow. so, uh, even the people who are, um, just crazy accomplished, uh, yeah. even when we get to that, that stage, still having the humility of having a growth mindset to say, well, there's something I can learn from this 22 year old kid. Um, it's, it, it, it goes both ways. Uh, for yeah. sure. so definitely the first question, that's a really great point to ask that craziest thing we've ever done. Um, so all of our participants, I'm sure these things seem just super crazy, uh, but they're really not. Um, so there's, there's nothing that's just next level crazy. There's one, um, one thing we've done that was pretty, pretty, not crazy, but it's crazy sounding. Uh, okay. I'll explain that in a little bit, but most of what we do are things that have a high perceived risk with a very low actual risk. Okay. So the difference between perceived risk and actual risk <laughs> is huge. And this could get me into an hour long discussion on how our brains are not logical whatsoever, even though we think they are. Yeah. Um, but that's for another, another I was going to say, if you charted part. that the way, the way that you said that, it was like, you've charted this uh, in multiple ways, uh, but no, keep, sorry, continue there. It's definitely for sure. So it's, um, it's really interesting. So if you look at the actual statistics of risky things, um, you'll realize that it's very different from how we perceive them to be risky. So mm -hmm. people are afraid of things that are new and scary. Um, sorry, things that are, are scary, different from what they've done, but also that are new. So it has to have those two factors. If they're really scary, but not, not that new, um, it, the perception of risk goes down. Um, and if it's really new, but not that scary, the perception of risk is, is higher. So it, it's kind of a correlated thing between those two things. Sure. So if you compare one of our experiences, one of our most popular types of experiences is repelling because the fear of heights is the number two fear in the U.S. Number one is actually what I'm doing right now, which is public speaking, which is <laughs> hilarious that that's number one, but that it is. Um, <laughs> so the sphere of heights is something almost everyone has and yeah. in repelling you're walking backwards off a cliff face. Let's say it's 50 feet, maybe a hundred feet. Sure. The height honestly doesn't matter if it's tall enough to the point where you don't want to fall off of it. The feelings and emotions are the same. Yeah. Um, and when you're walking backwards off the edge of this cliff, everything in your brain is telling you 
why are you doing this? You're stupid. This makes no sense that that primitive part of your brain and your logical part of your brain is saying, oh, well, I'm attached to this rope system and I have this little device called an ATC that I lower myself down the rope with. But all of that is totally overshadowed by the part of your brain that doesn't care about logic, that is just telling you, you're going to fall off this cliff and die. You're an idiot. Why are you doing this? Um, so repelling, when you set up everything, is very physically safe. Okay. Um, extremely, extremely physically safe. It has a high perception of risk because of that, that super old psychological part of our brain. People call it the lizard brain. Um, that's just the fight or flight response and it doesn't care. It, it evolved at a time when we didn't have the logical part of our brain. So it just, it doesn't care. It just says you should be scared in this, in this situation because if you're not scared, um, then you're, you're going to hurt yourself. Uh, right. You're going to potentially die from it. Whereas the drive to the repelling spot is statistically way more dangerous. Oh. Car accidents are like uh, one okay. of the leading causes of death in the United States. Yeah. But we drive every single day. And if we go a year or two or forever without having an accident, we'll assume that the risk of that thing we just did, that drive to the repelling experience is very low because of our personal experience with right. being okay. But statistically, it's way more dangerous than the actual repelling experience. So that's just a good uh, overview of the difference between perceived and actual risk. And that's mm -hmm. why these experiences work is because they have a high perceived risk. So it helps us to get outside of our comfort zone in a way where we're actually thinking we could die. And what happens if we die? We have all these like emotions and like our life flashes before our eyes kind of thing. It's not that intense, but, but that can happen. Sure. Uh, and that's what creates a lot of really powerful outcome in a way where no one's actually going to die, is ever at risk of actually dying. There's 0% chance that anyone would actually fall off the cliff. And I really mean zero. Like the risk is is very, very, very low. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's lower than you walking up to the to a cliff face, some random place and tripping and falling off. It's super, right. super minimal. So that's why it works and how it works by balancing the safety, the actual safety, but the perceived risk. Um, the, so the craziest thing to get back to that question, uh, in terms of just most weird thing, um, is we, we did partner with a company called gravity that makes thousand horsepower jet packs. They call them jet suits. And oh, wow. we did a very high end experience where we'd work with a few corporate execs, um, instead of, you know, the entire team, they'd yeah. actually come out and learn how to fly the jet suit. If anyone oh, wow. hasn't heard of it, um, after this, you can type in take on gravity on Instagram or on YouTube and see what I'm talking about. Okay. Um, pretty, pretty cool stuff, but uh, that's probably the, the coolest. I don't know if crazy is the right word, but um, most unique thing we've, we've facilitated. Can you, um, I'd love to touch on that for a second, if I could just the, the perceived and like try to change your mindset essentially, right? Like how do you tap into that? Sometimes let's say someone doesn't want to do an activity. I, um, I am terrified, petrified, whatever word you want to use of heights. Um, and I have a hard time like letting go of that feeling, letting go of what, you know, whatever that feeling might be. How do you tap into someone that is a little, in, in, you know, I, I guess just scared essentially, right? Of, of, sure. of how to change their mindset of understanding you know, not only that there's nothing that's going to happen to them and that, you know, this is something you could really do every day and then obviously apply that into their everyday life. It's a great question. So mindset is like a muscle. 
that you can work out at the gym. Um, if you want to be able to bench or squat a lot of weight, you have to be able to work up from something small. Uh, yeah. But the most important thing is you have to have the belief that you can get there. So the first step is believing that it's possible. And there's this fascinating study um, on the power of mindset in terms of believing whether a stressful situation is good for you or bad for you. Mm-hmm. And did this, uh, this study where they interviewed thousands of people on whether they're stressed and then whether they believe stress is bad for them. And then over the course of like 10 years, they would check the census records to see who was still alive and who died. And they realized that wow. stress and death were directly correlated, obviously, yeah. but not in the way you would think. It was okay. only directly correlated for the people who believed that stress was bad for them. The mm. people that didn't believe that stress was bad for them, it was actually a good thing and they lived longer. But they're both stressed, which is, this is nuts. So this goes to show it how is. much mindset actually can affect our biology. The people yeah. that viewed stress as a learning experience had that growth mindset that believed that putting themselves in stressful environments actually made them stronger, were actually healthier because of it. But then people who experienced the same level of stress that didn't have that viewpoint on it were less healthy because of it. Wow. So that it was a really like, interesting biological study to, to showcase the power of mindset. Um, so that's just goes to show that the, the most important thing is you have to believe you can do it. But yeah. you also have to take baby steps to get there. So from a fear of heights, the first thing that we like to showcase to people is that they can do it, but we want to do it in a baby step type way. So we first started with real life adventure experiences, which is the part of the story I've told. The part of the story I haven't told yet is how we've pivoted actually into virtual reality adventure experiences, which I'll talk about later on. But in a virtual reality experience, it's even more of a stark contrast, uh, just aha moment for people mm-hmm. because it's not real, <laughs> but it feels like it is real. Yes. And you won't yeah. believe me until you try it. It legitimately paralyzes people with fear, a fear of heights in a scenario that's replicating that, that height space environment. So there's one really famous VR experience called the Richie's Plank Experience, where you walk into this virtual elevator, the elevator goes to the top floor, and when the doors open, there's a physical, there's a plank coming out of the side of the elevator. And you can actually put right. a physical plank on the ground to make it even more immersive, which is scanned in directly where the virtual plank is. Uh, but you don't need that. Um, so in this analogy, let's assume we don't have that. Sure. Uh, when people get to that virtual plank, let's say they're doing this in their living room. They know they're in their living room. They're in a place they've walked across millions of times. And yet they're frozen at the edge of this virtual plank. And they yeah. sometimes refuse to take the first step out on it. And that's their first initial reaction. But the fact it's fake and virtual is even better because the the mindset and the emotions, they're all the same between real repelling, real real experience and a fake sure. virtual experience. But the stark contrast to the fact of how ridiculous it is is even better in virtual reality because it's not real. Right. So we can just tell people, well, just tilt the headset up a little bit, look at the ground and now do it. And then they can do it with no problem. And that creates this, it like pulls the the blinds like you can look behind the curtain of your cognitive dissonance and realize what's actually happening which is that how you think you feel and how you're actually feeling are two very different things and that's when people 
finally have this aha moment of like, oh, wow. Yeah, I don't know why I'm feeling that way. I can absolutely walk across my living room floor. This is ridiculous. And the only difference is your mindset towards whether it's hard or challenging or not. So the virtual reality is a great way to warm people up to the actual experience because then once you realize that, um, you start to build a little bit of, of a mental toolkit that you can then apply to the real life thing. You just you tell yourself it's fake, I guess, when you're actually doing the real thing. But <laughs> whatever tools you have to have to, to mindset tricks to tell yourself uh, that you can do it, uh, as long as it helps you believe you can do it. When yeah. we're actually doing a real experience, um, one thing we'll do is the hardest part of repelling is not the actual repelling. It's just leaning your weight over the edge. Um, okay. And that's it. It's just, it's just putting yourself in an environment where you feel vulnerable. So what we'll do is we'll connect people to a tether, which is a length of rope that's measured exactly to the length of wherever it's hooked into the wall to the edge of the cliff. And it gives you just enough to be able to lean back on it to the point where it tightens. And all we ask is people lean back on it. And almost no one says no to this because mm-hmm. it it doesn't, seem like it's going to be scary because you're not repelling. You're not going over the cliff. All you're doing is standing on the edge and leaning back. Right. So people will say yes, and then they'll do it without realizing that that's actually the hardest part about repelling. And they'll think, oh, well, I, I can do this. It was scary. I think I can do the real thing. And then they step up to the actual repel, do it, and then realize, oh, that actually wasn't that bad as well. So it kind of creates this progression of mindset realization of thinking, yeah. well, if I didn't think that I could do that in a million years and at the other end of doing that, it actually wasn't that hard. What else in my life do I have the same perception on where if right. I apply this mindset to you, then I should be able to possibly do something where I totally thought I couldn't do it before. Yeah. I love how you started off too with the baby steps or like, you know, you go in, you've got a goal of like, oh, I want to squat 300 pounds, right? You can't just throw 300 pounds on a, on a bar, right? You have to work up to it and figure out what your body can do, but also telling yourself at the same time that, Hey, I can do this. It's funny, Brian. And I also did it as well. Brian said it was super scary for him, even though uh, the, the VR was, you know, you're only two inches off the ground. I actually didn't move when I did it. I did it. And like, I am, it's funny. Um, Cause we talked about courage, right? Changing people's mindset through courage. I, I don't have a ton of courage. I wish I maybe need some per, like whatever the storyline is, whatever. Um, but I didn't move. So it's one of those things, which is, um, it's a really cool experience. I love that you have it. Um, I want to give a chance. I know we're at kind of the almost like, like 50 minute mark here. Um, I want to just give you a chance to kind of talk through, um, yeah, your, everything that you guys, I know you've kind of done it a little bit here, but uh, everything that you all have uh, from a, your platform perspective and as well, kind of like your podcast as well, just kind of give you that, give you that chance to, in time. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I, sorry, I, I can ramble on forever about all the psychology behind all this stuff, but uh, to explain kind of where the next couple pivots we made as a company, um, give kind of that summary. Yeah. We, we realized that, and I'd always want to bring the technology component back. I started off with this passion for adventure technology, going to Singularity University, Silicon Valley, big scalable ideas that affect a billion people at a time. And then through necessity, we had to pivot to something that was very not techy and not scalable at all, but, okay. but kept the lights on and brought it back. Yeah. So I always wanted to bring back the tech component and knew that virtual reality was a really powerful tool to do that, um, that the experience itself, the the 
power of the experience is really about your ability to push through the unknown and, and challenge your perceived limits. And it doesn't have to actually be a physical experience in order to create that outcome. The only thing that has to, the, the key factor is that it has to, the stakes have to feel real, um, which originally before VR was you know, real life environments were the only way to do that. Now right. VR is so powerful, it can actually recreate that environment where the stakes feel real, just like you were saying from the experience that you did with the plank walk. Um, so now that VR has that capacity, uh, we're really wanting to be able to build these adventure experiences that are actually emulating real life places that are incredibly amazing and really challenging places that we can never actually take people to. Like right. one of them that we're building is a crevasse at the base of Mount Everest. Instead of walking out on a you know, plank on, coming out of a random elevator, which like, when would that ever happen? Why would you be <laughs> on a plank on the side of an elevator? Uh, we recreated an actual crevasse on the journey from base camp up to the summit of Everest. And this crevasse, the only way to get across it is with this ladder. They lay across the crevasse and it's like the plank walk, but in a real life and adventure environment where this right. is actually a real live place that's actually on the trek from base camp to the summit of Everest in a scenario that you'd actually do if you go climb Everest. So bringing the same mental mindset themes, but into real life adventure environments that we're digitally recreating that actually are places that exist that you could actually yeah. go to one day. So now we want to be able to create a lot of these environments in virtual reality that we're still going to use for leadership development for companies that want to be able to train their employees on mindset and the power of mindset in the innovation process, but that we can also use to get back to our B2C roots. For anyone who wants to be able to challenge themselves in these adventure environments, they can download the app and just go through the experience um, and be able to go through all these really cool challenging experiences, but without the really high level leadership development programming, that's what the companies are buying. Yeah. So to wrap the podcast into this, we don't want to just put employees uh, and people into these environments and make these parallel analogies in terms of why mindset is important with our facilitators. Uh, our facilitators are amazing, but we want to be able to give people access to the very best outdoor adventure sport professionals in the world that have actually been there and actually do that, that are probably usually public speakers to talk about all their crazy adventure experienced journeys yeah. we want to be able to give companies the ability to actually go through that environment with these world expert red bull record setter athletes <laughs> in a virtual environment so now that we recreate these experiences we yeah. can now give all these athletes this ability to really up their speaking game because they're not just talking about what they did uh, inspiring people with their story they're actually able to digitally teleport into this adventure environment that is really personally important to them and their story and not just inspire people with their story, but actually help people to go through that experience in a relatively scalable way. And I say relatively because that person, every hour of their time is still an hour spent on the experience, but they don't have to fly to a speaking event here and right. here. And it makes it way more cost effective for that person to be able to share their time with the team going through the experience in a way that they could do you know, 20 times in a day versus once a week right. maybe and then eventually what we can do since it's virtual reality is we can recreate digital avatar versions of those people and record what's called their digital likeness which is essentially westworld style copying their personality into a virtual reality experience uh of course with their permission not like what westworld did if yeah <laughs> <watched the show. laughs> 
where you're being led by this best in the world athlete without that athlete actually having to be there, but it's indistinguishable from the real person, which right now sounds ridiculous because it is, but eventually it won't be like real legit Westworld style copying people digitally without having to 3D print the actual person, which is much harder course yeah um and have these athletes be able to have their own experience that they're facilitating to thousands of people or companies at a time without wow. them actually having to facilitate it so that's our long-term vision um being able to bring the themes and lessons of peak performance from the world of action adventure sports and how that applies to mindset innovation adaptability all these themes of leadership development in a way that is scalable through technology um, but of course we're very early in terms of being able to virtually recreate people. That's long-term vision. Um, sure. But we're still really early just in the element of virtual reality and the fact that people don't have virtual reality headsets yet. So we're having to shift the headsets to all the participants for the experience, include a return label in the box, and they send it back to us. But that's a short-term problem when people have their own VR headsets, which I think VR headsets are going to be like smartphones. Everyone's going to have one. Yeah. Um, then it'll be just software. But um, all these little steps along the way to be able to get to that ultimate vision, just like the repelling story of you just kind of break it down into little steps to be able to get to that point of um, accomplishing that big challenging task or goal that you didn't think you could accomplish before. Yeah, that's amazing. It's it's uh, one, I love how you incorporated Westworld uh, the last season. It was kind of crazy. Um, <laughs> it was. um but just also the the forward looking of where technology is going to be like you just said from a vr perspective um you know obviously headsets and some of the technology with it incorporating it right now people have been slow to adapt to it but i kind of like yourself think that that's going to be an everyday kind of use for people moving forward and and i think the the way that you have pivoted put yourself in a position to be able to work with these companies, but also the consumers of these companies that you work with. Uh, just just an amazing job, man. So super cool. Um, love what you guys have done. Again, like I said, I, I honestly used it and like almost like crap my pants. So um, <laughs> You did great. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. It did exactly what it was supposed to do, right? Exactly. Um, <laughs> So that's so awesome, man. So, uh, no, Marshall, thank you so much. Uh, I want to say it correctly, Vestigo. I don't think I said it correctly the first time. So um, definitely check that out. As long as people know what it is, it doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, no, I appreciate that. No, definitely check it out. It's uh, awesome what, you, what you've done. And uh, also go to your Instagram. You've got a really cool uh, – You, I feel like you just live a very cool life, the things that you kind of do, and you're always out and about. So um, really appreciate you spending the taking the time tonight to uh, chat with us and, and break down everything and, and talk mindset from an entrepreneur perspective, uh, but also just an everyday perspective as well. Thanks. Well, I love talking about mindset and the psychology behind it. Um, I could talk all day long. So always exciting to be able to share some of those themes. And uh, thanks so much for, for having me on. It's uh, always been a pleasure to get to know all the all the guys in the group. And it's such an awesome organization. So uh, really excited to uh, be able to share this with you guys tonight as well.